never ever think you're anyone because there's always somebody bigger, better, and that can teach you more. And if you keep that in your mind and you're always learning, because I learn off everybody. I learn off my, my manager in my restaurant. I learn off um, the chef. Yep. And my big, one of my biggest mentors is my wife. So I ended up doing the nightclub with the hotel. And from that, those five tables, yep, in the VIP area, it turned to 1,500 people. And then those 1,500 people turned to 15,000 people over the weekend. If you think you're an entrepreneur, don't tell me that there's nothing that you can do right now and you have to wait and ride it out. You're wrong. Look for opportunities. Hello, welcome to another episode of Inspire Pod with myself, Karun Kang. We bring you the best interviews with leading business people and entrepreneurs in their field. Today's guest was born in Leicester within a traditional Sikh family. He then entered the nightclub scene, promoting hip hop, R&B and Bhangra nights across East Midlands and owned his own nightclub. His company was then bought out by a Nasdaq listed group and he moved into a global director of operations and marketing, working with companies such as ARM, Microsoft and Warner Brothers. When things didn't go quite as planned, he then moved back to Leicester as a doorman, picked himself back up and then took an opportunity to work with Farrell, promoting him across Marbella and then formed the Richness Group. Working with worldwide stars such as Rick Ross, Buster Rhymes and 50 Cent across luxury places such as Monaco, Dubai and Marbella, he's now pushed on and founded the Hocko Agency and most recently a mental energy drink as well. Our guest today is none other than Bali from the Richness Group. How are you doing, Bali? You good? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for um, having me on your um, podcast. I'm looking forward to the interview. Yeah, likewise. Really excited about this and um, great to have you on. Um, I know we gave a bit of a background there, but could you give us a bit of a deeper dive into your experience of how you got into nightclubs and then that moved on through marketing and working uh, as the rich list? Um, contact and initial experience with the nightclub industry was when the A-level results were going on. So I used to be a kickboxer in those days, a little bit handy, everybody knew me. Um, and a couple of my friends said, look, Bally, we're doing this A-level results party, yeah? Do you want to come and help? We're a little bit scared, we've got nobody on the door, do you mind helping us do this door, um, doing this event? I was like, okay, why not? So um, we ended up, you know, doing this event, organize, you know, helping them supervise the door, making sure everybody paid. And I enjoyed it. I said, this could be something I, I could get into. So slowly, slowly, I got into the industry and I started doing my own events. Um, opportunity arose um, back in the day when I was young, which was a long time ago, which was around 25 years ago. Nightlife wasn't the same. Um, clubs didn't allow Indians and black people into nightclubs quite as easy as they let them in now. Now we're a part of society and people perceive Asians and um, colored in a different way. So in those days, you couldn't get an R&B hip hop night. It was all about a house. It was all about commercial music. If you, if you, if you were just an Indian with a group of white people, you still couldn't get into the club. It'd be like, you, 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 sorry, mate. You're not wearing the right trainers or you're not wearing shoes. Anyway, always an excuse. So it wasn't as easy 
um, you'd be lucky if you, we used to go to the daytimers maybe a bit before your time. Yeah. So the day, the, the Bangra daytimers is, you know, where we got in and we, you know, we got into the entertainment lifestyle. So anyway, so I befriended one of the managers of one of the main nightclubs um, in Leicester. And then it was called Flaming Colossus. Anyway, I was that one guy that got on with the manager. So I used to squeeze in, get into the nightclubs, no drama. I was lucky, don't get me wrong, the same nightclub knocked me back maybe three times, four times in my life, yeah, and they wouldn't let me in. It, it, was, it was like roulette. There's one doorman that didn't like me, wouldn't let me in. So, you know, I had the same problems as any Asian or any person. You know, it doesn't even matter, black, white, pink or blue. We all have that doorman that doesn't like us and they won't let you in the club. So anyway, um, I ended up befriending the manager and the club wasn't doing so well, right? And um, an opportunity arose where they were going to give me a Friday night. And this was unheard of. A hip hop and R&B night on a Friday, you'd get a bank holiday Sunday, you'd get something in the weekdays, but you'd never get a hip hop and R&B night on a weekend. It was unheard of. But this club was struggling. So they gave me my hip hop and R&B night. First week, 150 people came. I was like, this is a disaster. I thought it was going to be busy. Anyway, everybody enjoyed the experience. Second week, sold out. It was one of the biggest hip hop and R&B nights in the Midlands. It was called Soul Kitchen. Um, did very well. I remember those days well because what I used to do was, I used to do the hip hop and R&B night on a Friday, then get into my van. I think I had a, I think it was a, a Mazda, a Mazda, red Mazda van. Get into my van and drive to London and do the market. So just finish at three o'clock, drive, get to London around, you know, set up the, the market store around six o'clock and start working throughout the day. So I wouldn't sleep and do my shift, sold my jumpers and whatever I used to do. Got back in the van, drove to the next stop, then did the Sunday market and then drove back to Leicester, then started promoting my um, Friday nights again. So I did this for like a year, not a year, let's say six months right and the, the, the night picked up the black eyed peas turned up cisco turned up cisco, you know, cisco back in the day was like yeah, jay-z so anyway um truth hurts turned up um who else sean paul all these celebrities started turning up from london um randomly anyway so the, the club got a bit of a reputation and what happened was the group of companies that owned the club went bankrupt, went into receivership. I got an opportunity to take on the club, so I did. Um, ended up refurbing it, making it in a nightclub, and it was one of the most successful nightclubs in the Midlands. I started doing concerts, and I was doing, I, was, I did Sean Paul's first ever UK tour. I don't know if, I don't know if you remember, he, he did a track with Blue Cantrell. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah that was his biggest track. That's what made him a superstar. So I did, I did, the, I did his first ever UK tour. It was with it was Sean Paul, um, Cecile, and Mr. Vegas. Remember Mr. Vegas? Heads uh, High. Not, not him. That's probably no. before my time. It's, it was a track called Heads High, Kill Him With The No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Mr. Vegas. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, anyway, it was my first. And 
we got an opportunity to do the opening party for the MTV Awards in Scotland. So a friend of mine was working with this Nasdaq listed stock, this company that was on the stock market and they wanted an urban feel and promotion for the event, well, for, the, for the brand. So they drove, I drove down to London, met with this company and they said, look, what can you do for us? I went, look, give me a budget and we'll go and see what kind of exposure we can give you. So we did the marketing and PR, got them the exposure at the pre-party at the MTV Awards. They loved it. They called me back in after the event, said, did an amazing job. We really liked it. Can you tell us more about your company? Uh, we did a presentation. After the presentation, the owner, the CEO of the company says, said to me, how about you let us buy your company from you? We want to buy your company. And then the share price of that company was, I think it was three cents a share. Yep, three cents a share. They bought my company off me for half a million pounds, but in stock. So just yeah. imagine how many shares I had in their company. It was a lot of stock. Anyway, did the deal. We all moved to London closed down the other company, moved into this company, um, and we started promoting this device. Ended up, um, I'm just trying to make things faster here, guys. So ended up um, being their global marketing director. And my job was basically to put out fires in the company. And whenever there was a problem, there was a negotiation to be done, a deal that needed to be cracked, a solution that needed um, to be put into place. I was the guy the CEO used to call into the office. So we used to do these conferences. It was a gaming device, right? Like the PS, let's say the PS, the PSP, the, the PSP, yeah, the handheld game console. Um, ours was, the, we, we worked on a Microsoft um, platform. We weren't Microsoft partners. We were just using their, their chip and their processor. So we had nothing to do with Microsoft. We were buying the parts as anybody could, and we were using that processor for our gaming device. Um, but the problem was we had this great gaming device, but PSP, obviously being them, had lots of opportunities and could get games. So they could go to EA games and say, could you make us some games? EA would go, yeah, sure, no problem. Because they know Sony are going to put 150,000 devices into the market, no problem. With us, when we went to them, we said, well, we haven't got no devices in the market. They said, once you get 150,000 devices into the market, then we'll make games for you. We were like, we were stuck. We were getting games from like small game studios like Hangman, Tetris. You know, um, there was no credibility with these small games. When we went to investors, investors were like, okay, what games have you got on board? We were like, Hangman, Tetris, we're making up. There was no buzz because without content, you're not a king as you know, um, especially these days. So we used to go to these gaming shows. E3 um, was one of the biggest gaming shows in the world, and it was in LA. And our, our biggest issue was the content. So, and then what happened was because this was around the time of 9-11, right? My image wasn't very good for the company. And uh, I remember the marketing director of Ogilvy, Ogilvy's um, marketing director went into my CEO and went, Bali can't go to LA. He looks like a terrorist. He looks like Bin Laden. That's what he said. My CEO laughed his head off, called me into, the, the, um, called me into his office, 
with the guy being there. Uh, by the way, this marketing director, the, the guy from this company, I've already said the name, so it doesn't really matter, had a dog called Adolf. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Anyway, so my CEO calls, calls me in. I went, Bali, this guy says that you can't go to E3 because you, you, you look, you, because of the way you look, you look like a Muslim. And my CEO started laughing his head off and went to the guy, Bali's going to the E3. And he's one of our main people. We trust him, we love him. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, which was very, 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 made me very happy and proud to work for that company at the time. Um, so he said, look, Bali, we can understand this point. You know, the Americans take the, your image and look a little bit dubiously. So be careful. I said, look, I completely understand. I can understand it's very, it's, it's testing time. So I'll, I'll take a back seat and I'll just run the operation and I won't be in the limelight. So at that time, we, our, our whole idea was urban. So we used to have break dancers on the stands, cause you know, attraction. People are like, wow, what's this place? Cool looking staff, pretty girls on the stand. So, you know, we'd, we'd make a show and a dance and people used to come to our stand to see what we were all about. Anyway, I'm in E3 and E3, I mean, you went, to, you went to LA. How many Indians do you see in LA? Uh, not even five. I didn't even see five around. Ollie. How many? How many Sikhs were turbans? Oh, none, none, none. So anyway, let me. That let was me, now. Uh, that was like 2019. Not even back exactly, then. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I'm standing at the stand doing what I needed to do. So I see a Sikh, a full-on Sardar with a massive beard, big turban. He sees me. I see him. We go up to each other and say, "Sasrikal, how are you?" And we start talking. And he goes, what are you, why are you here? I went, well, I'm, on, I'm the global marketing director for the company and this is my, our product. So I showed him the product. He goes, I like this. I didn't think, I didn't ask the guy what he was, who he was, what he does, nothing at all. And he, I don't, and he went to me, I like this product. Maybe I can give you some games. I was like, to myself, wow. Maybe, you know, he might be a software developer. It might be, you know, it might be Hangman too. <laughs> so he passed me over his card and he was the managing director of Microsoft Japan no a way. guy called Parsing. yeah so two weeks later I went to LA to meet him um, a month later we'd had a meeting with Microsoft and Rockstar Games Rockstar Studios that are owned by Microsoft started making games for our gaming console as soon as we put the press release out that Microsoft was making games for um, our console. The share price from, I think it was $2 at that time, went to $32 a share. No way. Yeah. 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 So um, my, my, my directors and my partners were very, very happy with me. I got a promotion. Um, and then I, I ended up striking deals with Warner Brothers, um, and many other, other, other people. We did other tours with Ludacris and other people as well. So anyway, that's what happened. Uh, we ended up moving to LA. They moved me to the LA office. Things didn't go so well. We had a bit of an incident with the company. Share price plummeted. Uh, I packed my bags, decided to come back to England. And with $3,000 in my pocket, I came. You know, $3,000 is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, but came back to Leicester, I had bills to pay, I had a family to look after. Um, so 
reality hit home. And I was never too arrogant or egotistical to think about anything else but paying the bills. So I became a doorman, became a security guard uh, for two years. It was very, it was, it was never hard for me to be a doorman because I don't have an ego. If you tell me to go clean the toilets today, I'll go clean the toilets today because I'll do a good job. That's the truth. Uh, like we're in, we're in the lockup now. There's no cleaner coming to clean my house. Me and my wife do it and we have a great time doing it. That thinks a job's underneath me. And if you have that mindset in business, you can't go wrong. So I became this doorman and I became one of the best doormen the company had, I can say that. But I got comfortable. That's the truth. I got comfortable. I was trying to pitch my business to people and people just weren't listening because they were like, come on, Bali, you're a doorman. You know, you're just a doorman. And, you know, I was like, no, oh, I've done this, I've done that, I've done Microsoft, I did. You know, it was hard for people to believe in me, but it was cool. Um, and then what happened was, what happened was, I wanted to do another event. I thought, I'm going to do my own event. So I went to a company, a place, right? I've never, never mentioned this in any other interview. I went to this place. Um, I went to this place to see the venue and they asked me about the security company, right? And I said, they said, we use this security company and I worked for that security company at the time. I said, I prefer not to use that security company. Yep. I prefer to use a different security company simply because I didn't want it to conflict. That got back to my, uh, the owner of the company. He sacked me straight away. Yep. And um, I wasn't angry, bitter or sore. It kind of gave me, it, it clipped my wings in a way. But it didn't clip my wings. It let me fly. Because I said, you know what? It's been holding me back. It's time... Reality hit him, and I get a bit uncomfortable, and I start working and trying to get out there. And I started. I started to hustle. I started to try to do other things. And um, I get a random call from a Spanish number saying, look, Bali, um, I've been told that you know a lot of celebrities. 50 cents in, the, uh, 50 cents in, um, 50 cents in London. Do you think you can bring him to um, Marbella? I said, no, I can't bring 50 cent, but I've got a really good relationship with Pharrell and NERD at the time. I said, what about them? They said, yeah, bring him. If you can bring Pharrell, we'll have him. So I ended up taking Pharrell to Marbella, ended up in a, a, a hotel in Marbella, a very established hotel now, Marbella. I won't mention the name. Um, I became the marketing director. I, I got on with the owner. He liked my ideas. You know, I was staying in the hotel. We started talking and he realized I was the guy who was bringing um, Pharrell over. So he started talking to me and he realized that I was a good contact and I, I knew about the business. So he was like, Bali, how, come, how about you come work for me? Said, okay, let's do it. At the same time, another nightclub in Marbella found out I was there. They offered me a shares. They offered me a share in their nightclub. So me and this hotel owner ended up being partners in this nightclub together. So that's how the Marbella story started. And that's why I ended up in Marbella. And I ended up working here and then opening my own businesses and, and ended up with uh, the Richlist Group.
So that's how it all started. And then from Marbella, a friend of mine called Jason, um, Jason Barana and Sterling were always saying, Bali, look, we're in Dubai. Whenever you want to come, it's a really good market. You could really do well out here. Just, just fly over. So I flew over to see Jason and Sterling um, in, um, in Dubai and ended up staying and ended up opening clubs there, started marketing and PR there. And it grew certain individuals with very wealthy people started using my services, wanted to do private island parties, yacht parties, and it just grew from there. Then Manchester United. Um, I met Rio Ferdinand through Trey Songs because I was Trey Songs brand manager. Trey's Kevin Lyles came up. Kevin Lyles, I met Kevin Lyles. He said, Bali, I want you to be the face of my uh, management agency here in, the, in Europe. So I started managing, brand managing Trey Songs and Nelly. So it all spiraled off that. And then Nelly came to Dubai and I was his manager there. You know, we did a lot of things together. So everything just snowballed after that. It kept on working. You know, those days were Blackberry days. And I was on that Blackberry, no joke, man. I was on that Blackberry most early, at least, at least 17, 18 hours a day. 17 hours a day, man. Just DMing people, you know, WhatsApp, sending the broadcast, just trying to get people to my events, to my parties. And it, and it got there. And, you know, I slowly, slowly built my brand and, People started accepting it. And then people started saying, Bali, how about you coming to open this club for us? Bali, how about you opening this restaurant for us? Bali, how about opening this place for us? And I started the brand and the agency and it just grew and grew and grew. And I got the opportunity with, um, the, my first opportunity with the Formula One and the race weekend was in Abu Dhabi. And I have a lot, I have a lot of respect for Abu Dhabi because they've shown me a lot of love and respect. And what happened was they offered me five tables in the VIP area. So they said, Bali, bring your super VIPs to these five tables we've got. I think then it was, I think they had Nelly coming, Akon coming, and another person for the Formula One. And they said, look, bring your celebrities. I went, okay, cool. I'll bring my celebrities. I got on with the hotel manager. He was an old guy. He was um, old, um, but didn't look old. Um, Mr. Humphreys was his name. Yep. He was the, the director of Viceroy Group, Viceroy Hotels, which is a very famous brand. Anyway, he grew a liking to me. Like me, he's a bit of a character himself. Older gentleman, always wore these sharp suits, pink, pink uh, shirts, very well presented. And we got on. And he always used to give me more than he should have because he had a, a, you know, a fun spot because he saw the hustler in me. So I got on with him anyway. So he gave me the, um, they gave me those tables. And then the following week, um, following year, he, Mr. Humphreys called me and said, Bali, that nightclub's not going to be there anymore. Yeah, that nightclub brand's not going to be in there. How about you do it yourself? You know, and you can have the whole nightclub. I said, I'm in. So I ended up doing the nightclub with the hotel. And from that, those five tables, Yep, in the VIP area, it turned to 1,500 people. And then those 1,500 people turned to 15,000 people over the weekend. So then they gave me an area outside overlooking the track. Um, I signed a deal with the, um, the circuit and we became an official Formula One product. Uh, and that's how it 
grew and grew and grew and that's why we are where we are today. Touch wood and thanking God. Yeah, what I love about that is, um, firstly, there's like so many journeys in, in one. But secondly, mm -hmm. one thing you can see is, you know, people see everything that's great from the outside. But clearly you were hustling, you were working hard um, in the back. Can you give the you know, audience a bit of a background to the work rate that it took and you know, the mental strength that it took? Look guys, I had a budget. I didn't have a lot of money. And what I did was, I, I did what Instagram does now. I gave the perception of being bigger than I was actually, but never forgetting how big I really was. That was the key. And it's one of the keys to success. So if you are an influencer, and if you have got a big social media following, do not forget you are what your bank balance states, not the other way around. Now, people these days think their Instagram is their bank balance. It's not. Your bank balance is your bank balance. So if you've got 200 quid in your bank account, that's what you're really worth. Yep. So. What I did was, and this is, I've never even told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you. So those days, it might be a bit dated. Maybe the older followers will understand. Did you ever have a Blackberry? Yeah, yeah, your time? yeah. Oh, you had a Blackberry, yeah? So I had Blackberries when they were black and green screen. Can't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Anyway, so when the Blackberry turned into um, the colored and you could update your picture. Yeah. Right? You know, you could update your picture. All I used to do is update my picture. So I used to walk around these clubs, not actually be on the table. Yep, just take a quick picture of the champagne, post it on my Instagram. Yeah, champagne show coming, record it, post it on, sorry, not on my Instagram, on my Blackberry status. Yeah. So all these people on my BB seeing my updates and Bali's always at these parties, Bali's always popping champagne, Bali's always on these yachts, Bali's always on these private islands. And I, I started getting more and more people adding me to BBM. Yep, that was the way. I evolved. So I gave this image of, you know, me with Trey songs, me doing this. So everybody was like, yo, this guy, man, what is, who is he? What? And I, I still wanted to work. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm this, don't talk to me. It'd be like, yeah, have you got anything for me? Have you got, uh, you know, work for me? And I was always up for an opportunity. So I kept my work rate up. And then I got introduced to um, Rio Ferdinand. And this was from a guy called Mahmoud, right? Mahmoud, yeah, one second, one second, I'll tell you. So Mahmoud was just starting Boohoo, just starting Boohoo. I mean, he was an established businessman anyway, but he was just starting Boohoo. And he said to me, Bali, can you give me 50 cent again? I said, no, I can't get you 50 cent, but I'll try doing some other stuff. Anyway, Mahmoud took me under his wing, very nice guy. Um, we went to dinner with Rio Ferdinand. Rio took a liking to me, Rio gave me his BBM messenger, we started talking, and Rio and me started working with each other. Then Trey Songs came to perform. Um, Rio brought Manchester United to watch Trey Songs. Yep, and you might have seen it on my Instagram, me with Man United. That was when, you know, me and Rio started. Rio came over to Dubai, and when Rio came over to Dubai, he, he brought Manchester United. They were training over there. Then I took, my, I took Rooney, all of the team, to all the nightclubs and it just grew man it was just like i said i was never ever too egotistical i wasn't the guy and this goes out to promoters 
don't be the, don't try to be the star of the show. Your spender, your client is the star of the show. Your client deserves the pictures. Your client deserves the attention from the girls, not you. A lot of promoters out there want to be the superstars and it doesn't work that way. I never, I never, I, I don't drink anyway. Yep. Um, so my rule was I don't drink, I don't smoke. It's all about the client. If my client has a good time, he'll come back. And that's all I did. I, I went to work like it was work, made sure my client had a good time, went back home, put the DVD on, fell asleep. Next day, another client. That's all I used to do every day. And it was all about work. That's what my business ethic was. And slowly, slowly, you know, it grew and um, got me to where I am today. And at any point at that time, did you know where you wanted to take it? Did you like visualize what your I'm still not there, guys. Nowhere near. I'm no one. I am literally no one. I am nothing. Yeah. I am still on the first step to success. I've not even climbed it. So when, when, and I'm not saying this to you, but when the people listen to me, um, how many they are, do not think you're bigger than you actually are. You know, somebody starts making a couple of grand, they're like, oh, I'm making a couple of grand now. You know, I'm the man. Listen, I don't need to talk to you. I don't, you're an idiot. Never ever think you're anyone because there's always somebody bigger, better, and that can teach you more. And if you keep that in your mind and you're always learning, because I learn off everybody. I learn off my, my manager in my restaurant. I learn off um, the chef. Yep. And my big, one of my biggest mentors is my wife. Yep. You, you might have seen on my Instagram. Anna is my business partner and she is my life partner as well. She's taught me so many things and showed me the way I should speak to people and the way I should treat people and the way I should treat my family, the way I should accept my responsibilities. She turned me around into a completely different man. I'm very, very lucky to have this woman in my life. That's amazing. And yeah, you, you mentioned there, uh, you know, it's on your Instagram and, you know, see what a close couple you are and, and the influence she's had on you. Um, I think I, I heard a story of you mentioned on an interview where she helped with you, your youngest son, um, with, yep. he had a, she sent him back to Leicester to get a job to teach yep. work ethic. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So what happened was Anna, the very early stages, not very early stages, but you know, first year, she saw what was going on. She saw Indy, Richlist Junior, out of control, business class flights, really expensive tracksuits. Um, and I was a single dad, throw money at it, didn't give my child enough time, didn't teach him the right ways, and he was going off the rails. What happened was we chartered a yacht. A friend of mine um, gave me his yacht for a couple of um, for a few hours. So we we were on the yacht. He thought he was DJ Khaled. So he was on the jet ski, yeah, with his phone in his hand like this, yeah, and he had a case, you know, one of the waterproof cases, and yeah. he had a strap around his wrist. So he said to me, I went over a bump, the case opened and the phone fell straight into the water. Yep. Uh, he tried looking for it, got back to the, I'd left, because I, I had to fly somewhere. So I'd left and left Anna and Indy on the, on the boat. And um, he goes, oh, we need to go home and I need to get some money out of dad's box to go buy another iPhone. And Anna was like, what? He goes, yeah, 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 I've got to go find, I've got to go and get an 
you're not taking 600 pounds out of your dad's um, money to go find, buy an iPhone because you, you lost it. You better tell your dad you've done this. It's no, no, don't tell my dad, don't tell my dad. Yeah. She goes, you're not going to get the money. He told me. And I think at that time, Anna really had a go at me saying, look, he doesn't value money. And I really saw reality. And Anna said, you're going to have to sack him. So packed his bags um, in, in the obviously nicest possible way and said, right, you're going back to Leicester and you're going to go find yourself a job and you're going to um, really see reality. Got himself a job, 700 pounds a month. Reality change. Going out with his friends, you know, who haven't got enough money. Um, he didn't have money because I didn't give him any more money. Yep, so he had to survive on that money. And he really realized a year later, he came and I said to him, do you want to buy a 3,000 pound tracksuit now? He goes, no, that would take me four, that would take me five months to buy. I went, there you go, son. It was easy when it was dad's pocket, wasn't it? So he, he saw the value and he came back very humble. And ever since, kid's a superstar. Don't like saying it in front of, uh, or saying it, but he's on, he's on point. He handles all, all the reservations. He handles all the operations in Marbella. Um, he is, you know, an inspiration to kids out there. He's very young. He's very focused. He's trying to get a degree right now. He's at university in the um, winter. And in the summer, he comes over here to work. And he helps me at the Formula One events all over the world. Um, so he, he turned things around. So, you know, it's about realizing your Instagram's your Instagram, guys. It's not reality. You still are broke if you've got nothing in the bank. You've just got pictures in front of somebody else's car. You know, if you sit in your cousin's car, that doesn't make it your car. You understand? And if you, if you want, and this is to guys out there, if you want to stand in front of a, a Rolls Royce and attract girls, that girl's going to find out sooner or later that you don't have a Rolls Royce. You know, and so you have to really understand that reality is reality. And the sooner you face it, the better. That's Anna's cool. walking around in the background. Um, she's making cakes. Yes. <laughs> no, that, that, that's wicked. And um, that's so real about Instagram misconceptions and, you know, people portraying another life. And going back to what, what you mentioned about Anna, obviously she's got her own businesses as well your business partner as a couple how, how do you balance that business whilst having a healthy relationship because it can be quite difficult to juggle things around when you're you know working so hard I, do, I just you know what I, I, I just don't know how we do it it's just <laughs> it's it's I, 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 I you know I just don't want to jinx my relationship we spend 24 hours a day together. We don't leave each other's side. Before COVID or just now? Before co no, 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 no. Before COVID. We don't. COVID? We've been in this house for eight weeks now. Yep. And the truth of the matter is, it's been amazing. It's been the best eight weeks, you know, ever. I've recovered. I've lost weight. Um, I, I went into um, lockdown at 76 kilos. I'm now 70. I've lost six kg just because of my diet, me looking after myself, 
us looking after each other, training together, working out together, spending time together. I've even lost gray hairs because my mindset and the day-to-day pressures, don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of pressures with what's happening. But when you've got a strong partner and you've got somebody that you gel with, sky's the limit, man. You know, and this is the truth. We all spend so much time, yep, being with somebody that you know you shouldn't be with. Yep, and this is our parents' fault us being agent you know i love my parents and they are my mentors don't get me wrong um but they put so much pressure on us because of what they want and they forget to see what we need so we end up in relationships and marriages that don't work they're not functional you end up spending years and years being somewhere and then your parents realize they made a mistake but then it's too late so What I suggest is make sure that the person you do marry is your soulmate. Because if that person isn't your soulmate, you won't ever be happy because you'll always be hiding from that person and you'll always be avoiding that person because you're not happy. You'll live separate lives and you won't be happy. And I I blame Asian culture for this because, you know, I said this on another podcast yesterday. And I saw this when I was growing up. And the typical, the typical Indian family, not being disrespectful or rude, uh, because I was a part of this, and I still am a part of this culture and this religion, and being Punjabis and being a Sikh is the most amazing privilege and honor I could ever have. Um, but I saw so many young kids getting such, so many wrong directions in life. Let me give you a prime example. A typical Punjabi weekend when I was young. My other cousins, my family, right? It's Harbaxi's wedding, it's your cousin's wedding, right? Everybody gets dressed up. Dad spends four minutes in the Godra, yep, and straight to the local pub, yep, start drinking. The wedding gets um, the wedding's over. Everybody to the wedding hall. Dad gets drunk. Mum has to drive him home. So that's what you're teaching your kids. You're teaching your kids this culture. You're teaching your kids how to be alcoholics. And Punjabis have this problem. You understand? And the government did this to us. They wanted us to be alcoholics. They wanted us to be umali. They didn't want us to be educated. They didn't want us to be the way Maharaja Ranjit Singh was. He was one of the biggest and most honorable rulers of the world. From India to Afghanistan, he, was the, he ruled. And we were intellectuals, we, we were warriors, we, we were the creme de la creme. And in those years when he was an emperor, yep, when he, he ruled India, there was, there was, there was, let me just get this right. There was, in, in, the, in the scrolls of the Roman Empire, in the scrolls of the Roman Empire, they were complaining, the Senate was complaining on how much money the women were spending on Indian um, artifacts like tapestries, clothing, silks. They were all coming from India. 
it was affecting their economy. They were spending so much money with India. And then when the British came, that all stopped. And our economic growth was 0.2% while the, the British Raj was in India. Do you understand what we were? We were rulers of a whole nation. We were looked up. We were the fiercest warriors that the world sees. Even the British honor us, yep, because we fought for them. But we forgot all we were. We ended up being drunks and alcoholics. That's what our, our culture came to. I'm sorry I'm getting a bit deeper, but that really hurts me. To being emperors sitting on golden thrones. To factory workers and foundry workers and their soldiers. Seriously, guys, the only person that can change your history is you. The only person who can change your future is you. And I'm very proud of who I am. And this is one of the reasons why I kept my identity, because I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of being a lion. That's what my religion tells me I am. Why the hell would I not want to be a lion? My culture, my religion. I'm a warrior. Yet my symbol is swords and throwing stars. Why the hell would I not want that? Carry on with what I'm saying. I know we're, we're going to run out of time. One of the, one of the reasons why, um, and I, I think you might not know, do you remember the song Mundia Dubachke? Yeah, 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 PMC and yeah. Great Twins. So, um, so PMC and Cray Twins um, basically co-produced that track. Yeah, this is a fact. I've got albums, you know, the, the official album that came out. On the back of the album, the original album, the original album says co-produced by Cray Twins. I remember that. Right. And then he took the name off yeah. on, when he went to Jay-Z and he said it was just him. Anyway, I invested in the Cray Twins. I was their manager and their business partner. Good friends of mine still now. And what I said to the Cray Twins, I'm not investing this money just because you're talented. I'm investing this money because I want every Sikh kid and every Indian kid, maybe Sikh, Muslim, Black, yeah, Asian, whichever ethnicity they are, you can make it and you don't have to change who you are. And that's the key. People have to understand, if I could get the Cray Twins to number one with Bhatke and Bids, opening the opening show to the Kiss Awards, yeah, they opened the show, then it was um, Sean Paul and Sierra and everybody else, but they opened the show. So if they can become these huge producers and artists, why can you not you become a, a premier footballer? Why can you not become a cricketer like Monty Panabitsar became? Why cannot you be a rugby player? You can be whatever you want. Don't let the racism and the prejudice stop you. You have to let people see who you are and shine. If you don't shine and you don't stand out, you'll just be a part of the crowd. And this is the reason why I have my beard and I have my turban on my head and why I stand out and people take notice of me. Just wanted to say that. Got a little bit deep there, but it's just the way I feel about my culture, my religion and my roots. No, no, definitely, man. And that's so powerful because it you know, gives more background to you, your story, what we want to show. Because, again, people see the outside perception. They probably don't even know that you don't even drink, um, you know, from, from what they see. So, 
seen that so, so deep. I, I, you know, I'm passionate about it. I'll get, I'll get carried away about that. But it well. is about business. This is all about business. Yeah. Because we talked about how a race of entrepreneurs yeah. Yeah, became alcoholics. You, you understand yeah. how, you know, Guru Gobind Singh wouldn't even step into a field of tobacco. Yep. And we dived in head first because we were influenced and put on these substances. It's the truth. And it's happening in India right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Punjab's yeah. really bad. Um, it's, it's worse than like England, which, which yeah, of is course great. it is. And, and about that environment and being brought up, you know, for entrepreneurs, uh, again, I read, I read on one of your previous interviews, you, you said that, you know, you're working from age of eight and nine with, with your family on a market. And, and then obviously you gave the example of your son, Indy, going back and getting a work ethic. What importance does the environment you surround yourself with have on, you know, wanting to become an entrepreneur? Wanting it's everything. It's everything. It's everything. And kids say, oh... Why did my parents stop me hanging around with this guy and this guy? Because you are, you are what you eat. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my French shit splatters. It does. It doesn't matter. It does. And if you surround yourself around good people, you'll become a good person. If you surround yourself with gangsters, you'll become a gangster. If you surround yourself by, around athletes, yep, you'll become an athlete. Yep. So that's why your parents say, and why people say, you are who you are. I think when, since I met Anna, we have less friends. Yeah. Because you know why? It's because we'd rather be around ourselves instead of being around negative people. Some people, you'll realize, and this is me talking about business, they love drama. They'll be your friend because they want to hear the drama in your life. They want to see your downfall. But when you'll notice, and this is something I'm, I'm, I'm saying to people out there, business people out there, check out who those people are. Because when something good happens to you, are they, they celebrating with you? But they're always there to hear about what went wrong. There's a lot of people around there. So we, I keep myself to myself. I have a very close circle of the people I work with and my team. And we, we just keep ourselves to ourselves. Because it's all about surrounding yourself with the right energy. That's it. And around surrounding yourself with the right energy and, and you know, uh, environment, what else can you give, uh, you know, anybody who wants to be more, do more in their careers or business, um, you know, what sort of steps they should take? Uh, let me see. I think right now, let's talk about, you know, I know we're not talking about, spoke about um, COVID and the environment we're in right now. You can either sit there and say, I've lost everything. You can sit there and read every Facebook post Karen puts up there and be a drama queen and say, oh, this has happened now. Oh my God, it's not going to finish until 2025. It's not going to. Or you can see potential and look into the future and see possibilities. If you think you're an entrepreneur, don't tell me that there's nothing that you can do right now and you have to wait and ride it out. You're wrong. Look for opportunities. I launched the energy drink in these last eight weeks. 
from design, manufacture, from tasting, flavoring, locked in a house for eight weeks. We can't even go out the house. We can only go to the supermarket, that's it. If I manage to do that, why can't you? Why can't you manage to, why can't you manage to launch a cream? Why can't you manage to launch a vitamin? Why can't you launch, um, why can't you launch an invention you thought about? Why can't you launch a, a website? Everything can be done by the touch of a computer, picking up a phone. There is opportunities right now. If you ever wanted to be an entrepreneur, this is your time and seize the opportunity and you're not being bad. Yep, it's, it's a positive thing because there'll be people that lose money, but in the time of recession, there's a lot of people who make a lot of money. Yeah. Which one are you going to be? Are you going to be the one sitting there with your hand in here saying the end of, it's the end of the world? Are you going to think, right, I need to restructure my business and think of plan B. I need to think about online sales. I need to think about this. I need to think about this. I need to think about what people are going to need, what vital supplies, what vitamins people are going to need. Are people, people still need to eat. Yet drinking, alcohol sales, people tend to go out more when there's a recession. So you see, there's always an opportunity. It's up to you to think about it. So right now is the time for you to act on opportunity. Because before, everything's got to its plateau in the UK. It's very hard to get into a market. Right now, there's opportunities, there's openings. Go for it. That's it, that's it. So um, we, we had um, Paul Bassey on, on here a few weeks ago. Um, He's got like a three, four hundred million pound um, real estate and business portfolio. And he was saying he's really excited right now because this is exactly where you're going to make money on the buy. This is where you're going to get the opportunities. Of course, it's you know, sad what's happening to people. You know, you don't want a virus to affect people. You want to, you know, everyone stay healthy. But in business, there's, there's not a better time. It's opportunity. That's what it is. And you've worked hard for your money. And it's up to you where you invest your money. And if you invest in the right place, fair play to you. You can't be angry at anyone. You can't say, how can you be profiteering on this? There's, there's companies profiteering on medicine all the time. How, how, they make billions. I know, I know, I know multi-billionaires that have to hide because they have that much money and they can't be seen in the public eye. Because if anybody sees them in the public eye and they see the properties and the jets and everything they own, they'll get themselves in trouble. They don't want to be seen. So if they can make all of this money, why can't you? Exactly. That's the truth. And before we wrap it up to the final round, um, obviously you've had such an you know, interesting, exciting journey. You just mentioned your energy drink, which you've launched, and you know, the work that you do with the F1 as well. Where, where do you see yourself being over the next 10 years? What, what's next for you? Um, only time will tell. Only time will tell. There's a quite a few project, projects um, in the pipeline. Um, we really don't know. We really don't know where we'll be. I'm happy. The truth is, I'm happy where I am. Yeah. Even if I stay sustained like this, I'm happy. I keep learning, keep educating myself, and growing as a person, enjoying my life, enjoying my family, and enjoying these moments. And that's what I'm doing. And that's my message is to everybody, Okay, we've all had problems, we've all lost money, but we have our health, we have our families. What more do we want? If you lose your, if you lose your life and one of your loved ones, 
what have you got? Nothing, right? So be grateful for what you do have, not what you've lost. Brilliant. And um, just moving to the final part. So as quite typical on a lot of podcasts, it's a quick fire round, so you can answer any Okay. <laughs> what, I wasn't what, ready for this one. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. One word or one sentence, just five questions. First one, what does success mean to you? Being able to provide for my family. Um, what would you prefer to work for, money or your passion? Passion. What was the most memorable party uh, you've hosted? Um, the one I did for my father, it wasn't a party, but it was an event where our family got together and it was amazing. Just, just family time. That's the best party for me. Yeah. If it's not too private to say, could you give a bit of a background on that? Um, well, if you want me to say, but it'll take five minutes. So already oh, <laughs> we, we, yeah. we can, we can chop it in. If it, if okay. It so what happened was I met, a Punjabi brother on an aeroplane coming from Dubai. We were on the way to, to Spain and he was sitting opposite me and um, we started talking Punjabi, Punjabi, come on. We, we, it's in our blood, we have to talk to everybody. Um, so we started talking and I said, are oh, you going back to London? He goes, no, 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 I'm just connecting to uh, Marbella. And I was like, oh wow, we live in Marbella. And the hotel he was staying in was behind my house by coincidence, and I said to him, it's not a great hotel. Anyway, long story short, um, his hotel wasn't great. I moved him into my penthouse, which I have in the port. He basically, I didn't know who, well, I didn't know who he was, but you know, we got on and you know, his family, I met his family, I said, look, move into the penthouse, it's nicer, it's available, take it. Anyway, he offered me his house, and it, I didn't know, what house it was, but it happened to be a country estate. I mean, it was, it was a mansion. Yep, it was a country house. This was the family who invented fox hunting. Oh, wow. That's the house. Anyway, it was a beautiful, beautiful property. And I basically, Anna said, we're taking them up on the offer. Mom and dad are coming. Yeah, so Anna basically arranged it all. We all basically came, my mom, my dad, my, my kids, and we all spent the weekend in this house. I brought my local Punjabi chef from a restaurant I know, and they cooked for us every day. And we had this huge dining table. And every day we just had these amazing meals. My uncle came over, surprised my mom and dad. It was just the best weekend ever. I, my, I, and the reason why I say this was the best party of my life is because I never, I've, I always get emotional. I've never seen my father as happy as I saw him that weekend. Seriously, it just brought so much happiness to me and fulfillment. And I, I can only thank Anna for that because she's the one who forced me to do it and go there. And it was amazing. That's amazing. When, you, when, when you can put a smile on your parents' face and make them proud, there's no, there's no other achievement. There's no other achievement bigger than that to me. Love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry about the long story. Yeah. It is what it is. No, no, I might have to edit that to the final one because that was a lot better than the... I feel like the next two questions are just like downhill from the answer. Sorry. <laughs> but um, uh, fourth one, um, if there's one celebrity who you haven't yet wor uh, worked with, but you would like to, who would that be? Hmm. Anna just said J-Lo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, 
don't have one. I don't care about celebrities. It's the, it's the truth. I just don't care. They're just people to me. Um, I'd love to meet. I'd I'd love to meet. I think Al Pacino. Okay. That's I think think that's one of the people I'd love to meet and work with. But you know, uh, Anna Anna loves Julia Roberts as well. She's an amazing person as well. I've seen a lot of her interviews. <laughs> we'll go Al Pacino and Julia Roberts. <laughs> yeah. And um, what what's the one biggest skill set you'd say you've had that's contributed to where you are now? Being humble. Always willing to learn, not knowing everything. That's what, what, what's got me to where I am. And I still have a lot to learn. I never give up, obviously. Yeah, no, that's a good end. Um, I know My I'll... wife is dancing in the background. <laughs> we'll have to get Just her on know. another episode with, with her businesses as well. You really should. Yeah. You really should. I definitely this woman that. is amazing. She never, ever, she stays in the background. But seriously, if you ever want to podcast with Anna, we'd, I'd love it. Because no, she is... definitely be down. There we go. She's in. She's still dancing, by the way. She's secured. <laughs> and um, obviously, you've, you've got a great social media presence. Uh, where can people go to follow you, follow you know, your new um, energy drinks business, etc.? Just go to um, Richlist Group. That's the best place. I've got my social media, Richlist Bally, but I'm not so exciting. Go to Richest Group. That's where our events are. Our website, www.richestgroup.com. Go there and you'll get all the updates and all the events and everything we're up to. Wicked. Now, look, great, uh, great speaker to you once again. Love the background and understanding more about yourself. And to everybody else uh, listening to this or watching, um, follow InspirePod. Give us your comments and thoughts. And really uh, looking forward to the next one. Cheers. Take care, my friend. Thank you for having me. Cheers, man.